When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Every relationship can be conceived of as a kind of dance between two or more people. And we're so focused on those obnoxious steps that that other person is doing. I need to make them dance a different way. No, we need to dance a different way. That's where the control comes. When people are feeling helpless in these relationships, it's usually because of a central fact. They are helpless because they're trying to change somebody who's not under their control. That was Randy Patterson on Psychologists Off the Clock. We are three clinical psychologists here to bring you cutting edge and science-based ideas from psychology to help you flourish in your relationships, work, and health. I'm Dr. Debbie Sorensen, practicing in Mile High, Denver, Colorado, co-author of Act Daily Journal and an upcoming book on Act for Burnout. I'm Dr. Yael Schoenbrunn, a Boston-based clinical psychologist, assistant professor at Brown University, and author of the book, Work, Parent, Thrive. And from coastal New England, I'm Dr. Jill Stoddard, author of Be Mighty, The Big Book of Act Metaphors, and the upcoming Imposter No More. We hope you take what you learn here to build a rich and meaningful life. Thank you for listening to Psychologists Off the Clock. We're proud to be sponsored by Praxis, the premier provider of continuing education training for mental health professionals. Right now, Praxis is offering both virtual and in-person trainings. And for the virtual trainings, they have both live and on-demand courses. Praxis is our go-to for evidence-based CE trainings, and they're especially known for their ACT trainings. Some of the best expert peer-reviewed ACT trainers offer courses with Praxis. Check out their current offerings at praxiscet.com, or you can link to them through our website, offtheclockpsych.com, and you can get a discount on live training events if you use the code OFFTHECLOCK. Our sponsor today is Uplift Desk, creators of office furniture designed to help you work better and live healthier. I love my Uplift standing desk. It's solid and sturdy and allows me to easily transition from sitting to standing while I work with just the push of a button. The ability to switch from sitting to standing throughout the day has been a complete game changer for me. I feel so much better than when I sit all day, and it helps me stay alert when I get tired. In addition to standing desks, Uplift offers ergonomic office seating, storage systems, even walking treadmills for your desk. Everything you need to up your office game. You can get free shipping with no hassles, free 30-day returns and return shipping, and a 15-year warranty. Remember, by supporting our sponsors, you are supporting the podcast. Visit upliftdesk.com slash POTC for 5% off your order. That's U-P-L-I-F-T desk.com slash POTC to get 5% off your entire order. We all know there are trade-offs in life, like having to drive a little further to save on gas or groceries. But when it comes to your health, you shouldn't have to trade off. So don't go back to that one doctor who's always late and rushes through your appointment just because they're close by or they take your slightly sketchy insurance. Instead, check out ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. 
You can search by location, availability, insurance, literally no trade-offs here because with ZocDoc, you've got more options than you know. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. My kid's pediatrician is retiring this summer, so you can bet I will be using ZocDoc to find someone new who we all love and trust. So go to ZocDoc.com POTC and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash P-O-T-C. ZocDoc.com slash P-O-T-C. Hi, everyone. This is Debbie. And today I am bringing you an interview with Dr. Randy Patterson. He is the author of the Assertiveness Workbook. And we're talking today in this episode all about communication and how to be more assertive, speak up for yourself, set boundaries, say no. I think this is a, a area where a lot of us uh, struggle a bit and can use all the help and tips that we can get. And today to introduce the episode, I have with us Michael Harold. Michael is coming to us from Vienna. He is Yay. a strategic consultant. Yay! He's the strategic consultant here on Psychologists Off the Clock, and he actually has a number of different uh, roles in his work, one of which is that he is a confidence and communication coach. And so I invited him to share his thoughts to introduce the episode because he works with his coaching clients on communication skills. Michael, thanks for being here. I know that you took a listen to the episode and had a few areas related to assertive communication that you yourself could relate to personally. Oh, yeah. So I liked the uh, the interview so much. There was so much good stuff in there. And you refer in the interview to a course that you've taken with him. So I got immediately jealous uh, that I hadn't taken the course. But the the interview itself, like it was so it was reminding me a lot of my old self. Uh, when he talks, for example, about these different tactics that we deal with conflict, either appeasement or aggression. And for the first three decades of my life, I was the person who would always appease, always go along with everything. And then at one point, like, there would be an explosion. There would be a boom and I've had enough. And this isn't like, this would be an explosion that makes like a hydrogen bomb look like a small and cozy bonfire. I quit <laughs> two jobs because of that, because I never asserted myself. And then at one point I was like, you know what? I'm out of here. And he does such a good job of like showing what's the middle ground between those two things. And I wish, I just wish I had learned that a lot earlier, even though I'm still glad I left the jobs. I mean, I can relate to that too. I think I talk a little bit about this with Randy in the episode that I think it, it's often the case that it's much easier to not say something or to hold back. And I think in my work with my therapy clients, I see this all the time as well. But then at some point, you get tired of that, or you get resentful. But then the question becomes, how? How do you speak up for yourself? And it's not always easy to do so. Yeah, absolutely. And so Randy talks about something at the very beginning of the interview, where he says that most stressors that we humans have are in communication with others, like 90% or so. And that really gave me some thought because I was talking with someone on 
just a couple of days ago. And she told me how she'd done a survival training. So basically get dropped on an island. Here's a knife. Here's some matches. Here's a, a flare gun if you need any help. And I was so impressed by it because, well, how do you even survive? Where do you find all of this? But she told me that everything worked fine. But what brought her uh, to launch the flare gun and get picked up after almost a week was that she was so lonely. And that was the reason. If you, if you think about being starving and, and thirsty and have like frogs crawl all over you and whatnot, and the reason you leave is you're lonely. And then on the other side, Randy talks about other people are the biggest problem in our lives. So it seems that there's, there's no way of like weaseling out of this. There's no hack. We need to make this work. And the way that Randy approaches working with people and making our needs clear and setting our boundaries and, and controlling our own behavior is, I think, one of the best ways to go about it. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that really speaks to why an episode like this is important. We have such a fundamental need to be in relationships with other humans. And it's so hard and complicated. I think it is stressful and downright painful at times because it's so important to us. Yeah. And that's exactly why we need to to be good at this and to learn how to do it. And if we're struggling to assert ourselves, this is a really, really important skill to have in life. Yeah. And we can model it for other people as well. Absolutely. I talk to my clients about that all the time. They might point out some communication challenges coming from the other person, maybe a partner or a spouse or a parent or a friend or something. And they really would like that person to get better at communicating. Mm. And I say, well, start with yourself. Because actually, if you start doing it, they might follow suit and kind of pick up on some of what you're doing and, and start doing yeah. it as well. And so in your coaching work, Michael, how do you, what are some of the ways that you help people? Because this is challenging, right? To help people with communication. Um, what do you find in your work with your clients in terms of what, what kind of support they need? Yeah. So there's, of course, skills training. Um, when, I, when I talk about specifically building up my clients' confidence, um, the skills are primarily dealing with difficult thoughts, dealing with insecurity and so on. Um, when we go into the communication part, then it's, it's two sides. On one side, they need to learn the skills. What do I say? How do I say it? So that I'm respectful. What would be a formula or a, or a blueprint I could use? But the other side of that is, and I think that our listeners will find that out when they try to apply Randy's techniques, is that even though you know what you should be saying in this moment and what you want to be saying in the moment – it's still going to be freaking uncomfortable. And the first time you're, you're speaking out, you're changing your own behavior, you're still going to be tap dancing on a mental catastrophe curve because this is outside of your comfort zone. And you just need to be ready to put in the reps and do this a couple of times until you then get comfortable doing it. I think that's such a good point. It's you know, in the episode, you're going to hear a number of ideas and skills. And even we do a little bit of role play where I put Randy yeah. in the hot seat to practice some examples of what it can sound like. But even if you have all the right words, it is hard. And part of that is really that, you know, 
even if your skills are just great, you know, it does feel hard and uncomfortable. And I'm always so proud of myself and also of my clients when they take that step to speak out in a way that is a little bit of a stretch of their comfort zone. And Mm -hmm. so I think if people are prepared for that, when they're trying some of these skills out, especially if it's not what they've been doing, um, I think then you can be like, okay, well, you know, I expected that to be a little bit challenging, a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah. And now that you're mentioning your role-playing examples, which by the way, were great. Um, I had to laugh out loud when I listened to the interview at the end because you're one of the examples you ask him to record and uh, like bring him on as a co-host or something like that. And he vehemently just declines, declines, declines. <laughs> and I'm looking at my calendar. I see like, I have a co-host intro with Debbie tomorrow. <laughs> I'm like, wait, did I just fall? Did you just like fish in the rest? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> that was just a hypothetical, but he did a yeah, really know, good job of sticking to his guns <laughs> and uh, saying no, didn't he? I was like, wow, that's impressive. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I mean, we leave it to the listeners to get in, into all the details, but how he, especially in that demo where you really pushed him and you didn't let go, that was, his, his reaction was amazing. Well, everyone, we hope that you enjoy this conversation with Randy Patterson. Go and take some notes. Yes, that's right. Take some notes. You're going to need a pen and a paper. Well, I'm delighted to welcome Dr. Randy Patterson to the podcast today. Dr. Patterson is a psychologist in Vancouver, British Columbia. He is the director of Changeways Clinic and provides training programs across Canada and internationally on evidence-based mental health practice. He is the author of several books, including How to Be Miserable, How to Be Miserable in Your 20s, Private Practice Made Simple, and the Assertiveness Workbook, which is just now in its second edition and which we're going to be talking about today. Welcome, Randy. I'm so happy to have you here on Psychologists Off the Clock. I'm glad to be here, Debbie. Well, I just did a, um, the week that we're recording this, I just finished up a four-week training with Randy on assertive communication and boundary setting. It was terrific. So we have a lot of skills we're going to talk about and demonstrate today. Great. Yeah. It wasn't four weeks uh, continuous. <laughs> I've never right. I haven't thought quite <laughs> to clarify. that, that long. <laughs> I think people it was, would be completely fed up. Right. It was uh, two hours a week. So an eight hour yeah. training, which was, you know, there was, it's amazing. There was so much to talk about in that eight hours, um, which is, I think, highlights what a skill this is. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard to like cram it down to, uh, to eight hours. And even at that, I thought probably some people might think it's overkill. But uh, uh, yeah, I could have done four, five sessions, six sessions, seven sessions, I'm constantly having to trim and figuring out what to cut out. Well, it it, does, it really does speak to how it is. There's a lot to it, and there's a lot of situations in which these skills are necessary, and there's a lot to think about. And really, I think for most of us, it's a lifelong process of getting better at this. Can you tell us a little bit about why it's important, like why people might be interested in a sort of communication and how people can benefit from working on these skills? Yeah, well... As a, as a clinical psychologist, you know, one of the things you do when you first start seeing people is you ask, well, t- tell me um, what brings you here and what are some of the stressors in your life and so on. 
And what you wind up with is 90% of the things that really stress people out, that burn people out, that they're depressed about, that they're anxious about, are their relationships with other people. As a, as a social species, these are, are many of our biggest stressors. Now, some of these involve things like loss and grief, but many of them involve communication. How do I manage what I need in my life with what they need in their life and communicate that and come to some kind of agreement, <laughs> if possible, about, uh, about how to manage our existence in the workplace, at home, in friendships, in, with our family of origin? How do we figure all of this stuff out? And assertiveness is really an essential skill to being able to do all of that. Yeah, I was just telling you just before we got started that I end up working with clients a lot of times on this skill. And of course, the training I just did with you was for therapists who are helping clients with this. It's not just people who are in therapy who need these skills. I mean, I think you and I both need them in our own lives. And I think, you know, often it's unexpected. You know, it's not necessarily what a client is coming into therapy to work on. But when you kind of dig into it, it turns out that that is a big part of what's getting in their way. Yeah. I mean, having written the book, I get the occasional referral from somebody who says, yeah, no, I want to work on my assertiveness skills. But generally speaking, you wind up doing that kind of work with people who came in for depression and for other things. But indeed, I, I really don't think it's limited to a clinical setting at all. I think assertiveness is something that everybody needs to um to work on, to, per well, I, I say to perfect, but nobody ever perfects it. <laughs> Trust me on yeah. that. Uh, I wrote the book and I'm still not perfect. Uh, but um, it's something that, you know, if you're having human relationships, you need to be able to communicate in some kind of kind, clear, effective way. Absolutely. Do you think that there are times when, and we'll get into what is assertive communication and what isn't assertive com communication here in a minute, but are, are there times, do you think, when assertive communication isn't really the best approach or where um, maybe you wouldn't be aiming for that? Yeah, I mean, they're fairly, fairly um a sort of arcane circumstances. If you're in a dark alley and somebody's pointing a gun in your face, um, sort of this might not be the best thing. You might want to adapt more of a passive style. It's like, oh, yes, absolutely. Here's my wallet. Enjoy. Uh, and if you're hiking and faced with a cougar, then, uh, you know, looking big and threatening is probably a good idea, at least in certain circumstances it can be. Um, and there's probably other circumstances between humans uh, where uh, aggression might be helpful. But in the vast majority of circumstances, an assertive style will work better. It may not be satisfying. You know, the reason that we're passive or the reason that we're aggressive is that we kind of want to. You know, we, we get our ire up and we want to be hostile and sarcastic and mean to other people. And that's satisfying for about, you know, a second and a half when we uh, let, let that off the leash. Uh, but then in the long term, it turns out not to have worked out very well. 
Similarly, avoidance makes us feel wonderful, you know, like retreat to my position of safety. Oh, I feel so much better uh, for a little bit. And then I realize that the challenge that I've been avoiding is still there. I'm still going to have to go back and deal with it. So uh, short term, those other styles can feel great. Long term, not so much, usually. Yeah, a lot of times you end up stewing away on it. If you don't say anything, it's just kind of boiling inside. There are times too, and we talked about this in the training a little bit, where you pick your battles, right? I mean, you kind of choose sometimes deliberately, you know, I'm going to let this slide or what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, there are certain circumstances where you just know, you know what, I'm I'm never going to win this. You know, I'm never going to uh, convince this person that the earth is actually round or that, you know, <laughs> might be a yeah. good idea to get the vaccine or, you know, whatever. Uh, uh, that's not... Or that my spouse should put their dishes away on a regular basis or something like this, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are certain battles that you just feel like, you're, uh, you know, this is pointless. I'm not going to win it. If you have teenagers, you know, there's often so many different issues. You think, okay, I cannot confront this kid on a hundred things, right? That's just not going to be helpful. I need to pick somebody in the uh, workshop uh, actually just yesterday uh, pointed out that she decided, you know what, I am going to confront my teenage son on a number of things, but his bed, I give up. I give up. Yeah. He's, you know, like, <laughs> he doesn't make his bed. <sighs> I'll live. So you, 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 do, you do pick and choose to some extent. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we, this is something that I think is a big question, right? But I'm going to ask you to give a nutshell of it. Because we, you could probably talk for the whole hour plus on this topic, but what are some of the challenges, right? Because if it was easy, we'd all be doing it and people wouldn't need to be listening to this. People wouldn't need to talk to a therapist. They wouldn't need to buy your book, but it's hard. <laughs> and I think, you know, like you, you said that you work with, you know, you wrote the book literally on this. I work with clients on this all the time and I still find it, it's such a skill and it, is sometimes so hard to really access this. So what are some of the challenges or barriers that get in the way? Well, one of the biggest barriers, of course, is that people just don't know what to do. Like, what are the specific strategies for doing this stuff? And that's where that's where the book comes in. That's where assertiveness training comes in. Uh, that's where other books come in. I'm not the only author in this topic. <laughs> But even if you know what to do, it can be sometimes hard to actually do it. In psychology, you know, we often t- uh, talk in, in, in clinical work about the difference between a, a skills barrier, I don't know what I'm doing, or a performance barrier, I know what I'm doing, but I'm reluctant to actually do it. So what are the, some of the things that hold people back? One is stress. You know, stress is also called the fight or flight response. The flight response leads us into passive behavior. The fight response into aggressive behavior. If we're under stress, it's actually harder to be assertive. It actually is a huge help if you can find a way of calming down, focusing, centering yourself, thinking about it, and then sometimes the assertive response will come to you. There's also the fact of the social environment that we're in. If we've been, for example, passive our entire lives, you know, like, oh, dear, whatever you'd like, you know, that kind of uh, style, 
Uh, when we change our style, the f- dominant message that we're likely to get back from our family is please change back, even if the change is in a positive direction. It's a standard thing in family therapy. You know, if somebody changes, even if it's a good way, you know, suddenly uh, somehow that's not convenient for everybody. People like stability. So people also expect you to be a certain way. So if you suddenly say, oh, I'd like to see the James Bond movie, they think, oh my gosh, that coming from you, you must be completely fed up with me, right? When they take that for somebody else, but the fact that suddenly after 20 years you're saying this has great meaning. And the, the, the other main area is our belief system. A lot of people believe being assertive is, is aggressive. You know, that the two are the same. Uh, Being nice means being passive and doing everything for everybody else and not taking care of yourself and not setting any boundaries. Um, Some people believe that if I'm not aggressive, nothing will happen. That's the only way that anything gets done around here in this house, in this workplace, is is if I yell and scream and stamp my feet. Um, And those beliefs can hold people back as well. So there's a variety of things that, uh, that, that foul up the process, uh, and we try to look at those and overcome them. You know, I, in my own life, I think as I get older into my 40s, I, get, I am getting more assertive over the years. I think what used to, I used to take often default to a more passive approach, and still do for sure a lot of times, but... I speak out a little bit more and kind of assert myself more. And it is true that there are sometimes when people have a reaction to that or are a little surprised by it when you do it. But I, and I do think people often see it as almost like a black and white thing. Like either you're, you say nothing or it's going to turn into a big, huge fight. And yeah. really what we're aiming for is the middle ground there, but it, that can feel tricky. Yeah, I mean, it is it is tricky to actually come up with it. Uh, assertiveness is not just you know watered down aggression. Uh, it's it's really a, a different thing. It's a different style, and it's it, it can be hard to find in a new situation. Like, how what are the words? What are the actions that will actually help me to get through this? Well, this is perfect timing to break this down. So let's walk through, if it's okay with you, some of these different communication styles, starting with the the ones that aren't assertive communication, right? So so can you kind of give everyone a, a brief lay of the land in terms of the other the other styles and what those are like? Well, when I think about about at least two of the styles, I often think about dogs. Uh, I live quite close to a dog park. The passive style is sort of the submissive dog. It's like, whatever you want, you know, I'm not threatening. Uh, if you want it, you get it. It's okay. And the agenda is really avoid conflict at all costs. Often a person who's passive is uh, quiet, agreeable, um, Often, if you had a still movie of them, you could tell that they were doing the passive style, even though you don't know what they're saying because of their posture, making themselves small and insignificant, trying almost to to, to become invisible. We often think of the passive style as being kind of uh, sort of sitting around and not doing very much, but actually those are often the busiest people in the world, right? Because everybody's asking them to do stuff and they're running off their feet trying to do it. 
the aggressive style uh, is more, I get to decide what happens, you don't. If we think about a stage, uh, I'm allowed on stage, everybody else is my audience, in effect. And um, so it's like sumo, you know, I'm trying to bounce everybody else out, out of the ring. Um, and it, the aggressive style can actually have two major forms. Uh, we might think of it as hot anger, where a person is really angry and shouting and swearing and so on. Uh, but also, Mr. Potter, I th- always think of Severus Snape as the perfect example yes. of old Snape. anger. You know, that, that, yes, I want you to do your job. That's all I'm asking, not really that much, is it? Is it too much to ask, given that we are paying your salary, that you do the job for which we are paying? Uh, how about this afternoon? And how about competently? That's that kind of ooh, cold anger. Icy cold, that, yes. <laughs> a lot of people are scared, more scared of the cold anger than they are of the hot anger. Because when hot anger, you know, when people are doing that, we often think, oh, they've lost it. Lost what? Control. They've lost control. person with cold anger is very much in control, at least of themselves. The third style is passive aggressive, which is sort of a combination of the two. I think if you were to sum it up with two words, it would be um, deniable hostility which is where you get your own way and you get to stick the knife in, but you get to pretend it wasn't you that did it uh, or it wasn't your fault. You know, so your parents have taught, have ordered you to paint the bathroom and you quote, accidentally unquote, managed to spill paint everywhere. I'm sure many parents of teenagers are familiar with this phenomenon <laughs> or indeed anybody who has ever been a teenager. Um, you know, we're always late and it's always because the bus company just can't keep to their schedule. Um, we make seemingly innocent observations about lawyers knowing full well that there's a lawyer within earshot of us, uh, that kind of thing. So this roundabout deniable, oh, no, I didn't mean you or I didn't mean to do it kind of style. Mm-hmm. And then there's assertiveness, which is people often imagine assertiveness to be this kind of mm, really hard edged style. Debbie, I'm afraid that this uh, this uh, podcast of yours is not uh, going to work for me on uh, this day. Uh, and so I'm going to need you to do it on that day because I'm a, a very busy person, you know, uh, that kind of uh somewhat obnoxious, hard-edged. I think that's part of what holds people back from being assertive. Assertiveness is generally speaking relaxed. It's lovely. It's polite. It's respectful. I'm allowed on stage, but so are you. Um, It's an expression of equality between people. And it it, it just tends to be quite uh, ideally quite smooth and calm most of the time. <laughs> I think there's a certain openness and honesty when you're really doing assertive communication the way you're talking about. You're just sharing what you think or how you feel or what you want or what you need, but you're just being very direct and honest about it, I think. 
Yes, there's not a lot of people don't have to guess. In a lot of relationships, you know, with bosses, sometimes with spouses, sometimes with friends, people often feel like they're taking their own behavior and sort of dropping it into a deep well. And they're really not sure where it's going. And they're not sure how it's coming across. And they're not sure what's going on with the other person or how they're reacting or, or anything. Uh, with a, a more assertive person, you'll know. Uh, and it's not that they will criticize you for everything that they disagree with, but you'll you'll know how they react and probably you will not be rejected as a person for for any of it. So in your book, which is terrific, you offer some principles of assertive communication, some sort of overlying general principles that you want to take. And one of the the very first one actually, one that I think is really important is related to control. And so can you share what's your stance on control as it relates to assertive communication? Yeah. Well, in the uh, aggressive style, as I, as I mentioned, it's all about me trying to control other people. In the passive style, it's about me being controlled by anybody who wants to pick up the other end of my leash. Um, in the, the assertive style, what we're doing is really exerting control over our own lives. People often come to assertiveness training and they say, well, I need to figure out how to change my my husband, my wife, my kid, my friends, my boss, whatever. Uh, and it, they're really focused on those other people. And it comes as a bit of a surprise sometimes when I say assertiveness is not about controlling any of those people. It's about controlling you. It's about controlling our own behavior, not the behavior of other people. Indeed, a lot of assertiveness is about letting go of trying to control other people, other people's view of us and other people's behavior. Um, so it involves a refocus on what are my steps in this dance? All every relationship can be conceived of as a kind of dance between two or more people and we're so focused on those obnoxious steps that that other person is doing. I need to make them dance a different way. No, we need to dance a different way. That's where the control comes. When people are feeling helpless in these relationships, it's usually because of a central fact. They are helpless because they're trying to change somebody who's not under their control. And, and ultimately, of course, nobody is. We're under our own control. So we try to change ourselves. And that changes the ecology of the relationship. You know, in ecology, you look not only at one species, you look at how the species interrelate. You change one thing, you introduce deer to an island, and this changes the vegetation on that island. Um, so in assertiveness, by changing our own behavior, we change the ecology of the relationship, and often the entire relationship changes. When we give up trying to control uh, for example, whether our spouse puts dirty clothes in the laundry hamper and say, I'm only washing the clothes that are in the laundry hamper. People suddenly start putting stuff in the laundry hamper. But we did it not by controlling what they do, but by controlling what we do. Yeah, I think it's such an important philosophical shift. You know, people do a lot of times come into, for instance, into therapy or not, but just thinking, how can I get so-and-so to do this or that? And, you know, that's just a place that doesn't end up, it creates a dynamic that's not good. And I do think changing your own piece of that makes a huge difference a lot of times. 
Yes. One of the groups of people that I see uh, a lot of are uh, either the young people um, or the parents, where the young person is having difficulty achieving adult independence. And the parents are often very stressed out about this, very frustrated. And they're saying, how can I get this kid to, you know, get a job? And we look at it and it's like, well, the parents are funding all of the food, all of the computers, all of the internet, all of the rent and so on. And the parents have the idea that when the kid gets a job, they're going to start suddenly start charging rent. It's like, do you realize that you're putting all of the incentives in place for your son to stay home and none of the incentives for him to get out so or, or to, to move forward in his life, whether or not he leaves home? Um, it's really about changing what the parents do rather than what the, what the son does, if it's the parents that I'm seeing. Similarly, the young person is trying to change his parents. And I'll point out, I don't think you can do that. That's one of the reasons we leave home. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I actually think of it as a standard developmental task for human beings. It often takes place around the age of 30, whereas you give up on changing your parents and reforming them. <laughs> right. You realize, accept oh, them nice. as they are. Yeah. Yep. I've been trying that for a long period of time. It's not working. So I guess I need to let them have those beliefs that they have, but I decide what my beliefs will be. Yeah. Before we get into the specifics of a sort of communication and, and do a few examples, I want to just ask you really quickly, one of the things we talked about in the training that I just want to acknowledge are gender differences in the styles. And I was wondering if you could just say, because certainly I can relate to that idea from my own life. Um, can you just say a couple words about, um, you know, what the general pattern is is with that? Yeah, I think that... Um in our society with a long history of, of, you know, different socialization for males and females, some of which is changing with time, but possibly not enough or not fast enough or, uh, you know, it's hard to overcome uh, all of the sexism of the past. Um, but I think that many uh, women are expected to adopt that passive style. And many men in some traditional settings are expected to be these sort of uh, silent and or hostile, (laughs) pushy guys. And this leads them into one style or another. Um, There's also the problem that if you take a script, for example, a work script, um, John This file needs to be completed by Friday. I would like you to get your team together and organize the work so that that happens. Some script like that. And we give that script for a male actor to read and a female actor to read. And then ask the audience, please rate these people in terms of their characteristics. Uh, The woman is somewhat more likely to be rated as obnoxious and pushy. And the man is somewhat more likely to be uh, rated as an effective leader. So this is a very difficult situation to find ourselves in. Um, And I think what it may mean is something that's completely unjust and unfair, which is that I think men are given more latitude. Uh, in many circumstances uh, for their behavior. Uh, and that women may need to be, in some ways, more skillful at, at, at being assertive. 
Yeah. Uh, which is, sounds completely unfair. And, and, uh, <laughs> and I'm the wrong gender to be saying that. <laughs> No, I'll I'll agree with that because I do think women, you know, it's like they're very reinforced often. I mean, this is a generalization, but reinforced for that more passive, passive, agreeable, likable approach, you know, and I think can get labeled a certain way if they are more assertive or aggressive. And a lot of times men can get really reinforced for the more aggressive approach over the years. And I definitely have seen that in some of my work with men, especially when I worked at the VA and there were a lot of men coming through. And then, and then part of what we are doing with this skill set is learning a different way that's probably more effective for both, but we have to sort of learn a new way of doing things. Yeah. A lot of guys, for example, will think that by being assertive, you know, and ramping it down a bit, uh, that they're, um, they're giving up their power. They're actually not. They're gaining it. You know, the reason that they're coming into treatment is that they're not, you know, that that style is just not working for them. It's fouling up their relationships. It's fouling up their workplace. Um, their colleagues are not liking them very much. Their employees are are uh, turning over at a, a, a really high rate. That style just does not work for them. And for uh, many others, sometimes uh, uh, women, the, the style of I'm going to do things for you until you're happy with me, that's not working for them either. Again, these are gross oversimplifications for the genders. Uh, and you know, feel free to ignore them completely, but. Right. Uh, Total generalization, but there's a lot yeah. to that. And I mean, I do think that, you know, as a woman myself, who, as I said, often defaulted to the more passive approach after a while, you just get tired of it. And you're like, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, I'll do all this stuff for you until you stop asking. Oh, wait, Hey, that never happens. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So I want to get a little bit more into the nuts and bolts here of how to, right? And I thought it would be most fun to do some examples and to hear how a, a pro approaches some of these specific oh, situations. Oh, oh. I'm being okay. set up. I can feel it. <laughs> I know. No pressure. No pressure, Randy. <laughs> well, and actually, one thing we can do is do a few examples and just see how it goes and then talk about it afterwards, like highlight what worked and what didn't work if, if you're up for that. Okay. Yeah, so sure. the first thing I want to do is talk about how to express an opinion. And I think this is important, you know, part of a sort of communication, right, is that sometimes you want to just get your opinion into the mix and speak mm -hmm. up for your own beliefs, right? Yeah. And hopefully do it in such a way that you're not implying that anybody who has another opinion is an idiot, right? You're, you're okay. trying to create space on the stage for your opinion and space on the stage for the other person's opinion if they happen to disagree with you. Okay. So let's try that out. So I am here in Denver and you're over there in Vancouver. And so 
we're going to have, we're going to express some opinions about that. And I'm going to start by saying that Randy, Denver, it's really amazing here. We're so close to the mountains and it has great weather. And I really think that you should probably move here because Denver is much better than Vancouver. Ah, yes. Well, I've been to Denver and I, I've quite liked it, in fact, and I love the mountains there. And, uh, and yet I haven't moved there because, in fact, Vancouver is actually uh, more suited to me. It really depends on your values and what's important to you, I think. And uh, Vancouver also has the mountains. I kind of think that the mountains in Vancouver are even a little bit more easily accessed than Denver. Uh, we could measure it out and see. I'm open to contradiction on that, but I think that's true. I can be on a ski hill in 20 minutes from where I live. Uh, well, let's face it, I can be in the lineup. Um, I also like being in the ocean uh, and being around the ocean. From my office, I see the ocean. Uh, and I, you know, don't recall being able to see the ocean from Denver. Uh, so I think, I, I think for me, that's really useful. A lot of my travels in my life have, uh, have been to Asia and I was in Hong Kong at one point and, and somebody said, you know, there are no good chefs left in Hong Kong. They're all in Vancouver. And you know, he was right. Uh, we have wonderful Chinese food, wonderful Japanese food, uh, um, Indian food, Thai, Malaysian. We have uh, such a wonderful collection of uh, different tastes and flavors. And that's such a great aspect of life here. I'm sure that Denver has its positives as well. And a different person might prefer that. Well, I'm packing my bags. That was very convincing. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and again, it's not about trying to win this, but can, so can you, just give us a few features of what you did there, what you were trying to do there to, that was, I think, quite effective um, in getting your point across there. So what were some of the things you were, you were doing, Randy, that were um, assertive? Yeah. Well, one of the things is that I wasn't saying that everybody on the entire planet uh, should feel exactly the same way. Uh, I was saying that this is how I feel. I might have the secret conviction that I'm actually right. Um, but that's not helpful in the communication with you, giving you space to be a separate person with separate values, separate ideas, separate things about what you want. Um, so I was deliberately creating space for that. I was also acknowledging the positive points of your um your opinion, you know, Denver's uh, proximity to the mountains is, in fact, lovely, and your ski, ski hills and so on, you know, whatever. Uh, so I was doing that. I was acknowledging the positive points, but I wasn't um, necessarily going along with your uh, your view. You know, I wasn't promising to move to Denver. I was pointing out how I how I feel and what are the things that I value about in effect, my side of the argument. Yeah. And as the recipient of this different opinion from mine, I felt like it just kind of opened me up to listen to you because you didn't come in really strong with you're wrong or you should think Denver's this way too. Horrible. Oh my God. Oh yeah. Yeah. None of that. Yeah. Cause that would have kind of shut it down and I would be like, 
Denver's great too, you know, but instead I was like, okay, well, let me hear his point of view. So I think that's really effective. You were very direct about it, but you weren't hard line my way or the highway about it. No, no. And I could imagine putting in some things that might be slightly assertive, or I could put in a little passive aggressive tone. Uh, I might say something like, you know, and if you happen to get injured in the mountains, you can go to any hospital you want, because it's not dependent on your insurance company. That might be just a little bit of a pinprick, you know, like just a little bit of a, mm, a, 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 a twist. Mm-hmm. Right. And that would be another agenda. That's not about what's, you know, like that's not Vancouver. Right. Right. It could be tempting. (laughs) Well, uh, it's it's one of the things that I value, but nevertheless, nevertheless, that's not the question. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So let's move on to another example. Um, And in this case, instead of expressing opinion, I'm going to ask you to at, let's say there's something I'm doing that you don't like. And you would like for me to, um, you would like to ask me to change it. Okay. And so the example I thought of is imagine that we're still doing your, um, you know, your seminar that you've been teaching. And I was, I kept talking over you, interrupting you, jumping in, talking too much and kind of dominating the conversation. It's your, you're the presenter here. Um, and so you're starting to get to the point where you're like, I think I need to say something. Okay. So what would you say? Debbie, thank you so much for your points today. You know, you've made so many of them and they're all exactly on target. Um, you'll notice though that there are 42 people in our, in our uh, seminar and some of those people really haven't spoken at all. And I'm really trying to draw them out as well. And so as I ask questions, you'll notice that, uh, you know, you'll have your hand raised or your microphone unmuted. I'm not actually going to go to you. I'm going to go to them, the ones who haven't said anything. Uh, And that's really to try to balance things out a little bit. So uh, if you've got some really important things, you really want to make sure that come out in your uh, uh, in in the webinar, uh, do speak up about those. But you might want to uh, hold back on others because otherwise I'll randomly uh, pick on those and they won't be the, the points that you really want to make. Okay, great. Very gentle, but also very direct. Um, so what, what were some of the features of that that you were, what were some of the things you were trying to do there? Well, one, one feature of it is that it's well-practiced because in every <laughs> workshop, especially live <laughs> workshops that you do, there's always one person who sits close to the front and it's kind of like your private workshop for them. I won't ask um, if that was me in the workshop I just did. Was, in <laughs> fact, it was not you. And in fact, we, I was missing one of those, but there was nobody. That's one of the things about okay. online workshops. <laughs> um, no, uh, but one of the things that I was doing is I acknowledging the good points. You know, that in fact, usually when a person is doing that, they do have some good points. And I might have said, you know, oh, I especially liked your point about driving. You know, just acknowledge something positive rather than, oh, my God, there was just so much of what you were saying. I just, you know, like, give it a rest, put a sock in it. Right. Rather than that, acknowledge some of the things that they've done uh, well, but also acknowledge the excess of it. And why am I confronting you? 
what am I doing? Like, what is my motive here? My motive is to even it out for so that everybody gets a chance to talk. So I'll tell you that. So rather than simply, I need you to do less, uh, I'll point out I need them to do more. Okay. And the only way they're going to do that is if there's some space. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right. Okay, great. Now, I want to do one final example. And this one, I'm going to make it a little harder for you. I'm really going to push you a little bit more here. So here's what what we're going to do. I'm going to make a request. This is a a saying no example. So I'm going to make a request of you. And actually, once I make the request, I'm going to pause to see if you have feedback for because one other part of assertive communication is making a request. And I learned some skills from you, Randy. So let me, if this is okay, yeah, <laughs> this, uh, I'm going to make the request and then pause for feedback. And then we're going to, I'm going to um, push you a little bit with saying no. So I'm going to, I'm not going to be the easiest person in the world to say no to. Okay. All right. So here's the request. I've run into them before. So go for it. <laughs> so um, Randy, I'm in kind of a bind with the podcast right now. Cause I have a few interviews lined up and one of my co-hosts has been, out sick. And I'm really, I need a guest host who can help me by doing an interview. And I know you're, you're busy, but um, I was just wondering, would you be able to carve out a couple hours next week to do a few guest interviews for me? Okay. So I'm going to pause. How did I do with this request? That was pretty good. That was pretty good. That's, that's almost exactly what I would recommend for somebody uh, doing this. You're, you're giving the background. So you're not just hitting me with, can you be my uh, guest interviewer or your my co-interviewer? Uh, you're orienting me to the situation. Why is this an issue for you? And then you're being quite specific about what it is uh, that you're asking for. Okay. So very good. Okay. Yay. Okay. So those are some some ways to make a request. Okay. So now let me have you. Um, okay. So can you do this guest host, host thing for me, Randy? It just Just take a couple hours. Well, thank you so much for asking. I mean, that's 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 nice of you that you think that that's something that I could uh, uh, manage and that I would be a good enough interviewer to meet your high standards. Um, this fall, I'm really committed. And so unfortunately, I'm not taking on anything new. I know you're so busy and I would not ask you this um, if it was an emergency, but I think you'd be so good and also... I really think it would be good for your career because I know you're, you know, you have this new book out. I think who knows, it could open a lot of doors for you. I think I actually think, you know, you could probably move a couple things around next week and just squeeze it in. Well, you might be right that it it would be uh, beneficial to me. Unfortunately, I'm not taking on anything new this fall. I know better than to uh, overpack my schedule. Well, I wouldn't ask if I wasn't really, really desperate. Are you sure? Can you just help me out with this, please? No, I'm afraid I'm not taking on anything new this fall. Okay. All right. You stuck to your guns. (laughs) I stuck to my guns. I am disappointing you in in that imagined scenario. and, but I'm trying to make it shorter and I'm trying not to go overboard with my explanations. So one of the things that uh, I don't want to be doing is giving you excuse after excuse after excuse because you will sense, ah, this guy's going to run out of excuses sooner or later. 
So I give my answer. And then as the person keeps asking, my answer gets more and more brief. I just reiterate. But I try to maintain that same kind tone in my voice as much as I can. You know, I don't get, oh, for God's sake, I already told you, no. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm trying not to have that enter my voice. And instead, uh, I really appreciate you. You're in such a difficult situation. That must be really hard. But I'm not taking on anything now. So I'm, you know, empathetic, but not moving. So we're really talking here. I mean, this is a saying no skill. It's also, you know, it's one way of setting boundaries. You were talking earlier about, you know, if you don't set some boundaries at some point, you're just going to take on more and more. You're going to be run ragged, burnout, all that kind of thing. Um, I liked the idea that, or I like your idea that people can keep asking all they want and it's up to you to decide to say yes or no. Could you just Say a few more words about that, about like why this skill is such an important one. Yeah, I run into a lot of people who are just so annoyed and so frustrated because like, why would they ask me to do that? That's so unreasonable. These people around me are just a pack of users. The moment I hear the word users, I think, ah, so this person is allowing themselves to be used. What they're really trying to do is control other people and make them so they don't ask. And they're feeling threatened by the fact that other people are asking them to, you know, drive them to the airport, paint my kitchen, do this, do that, finish all of these reports by Friday, whatever. Um, and, and, And they're trying to think, how do I get these people to stop rather than uh, exerting their own control and being able to say no? And if they can say no, then it doesn't actually matter what people ask. You know, somebody can ask me, can I have your house? It's totally allowable, right? That's fine. It doesn't threaten me at all. No. No, you can't. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, sorry. Sorry Sorry is a tricky word. Sorry can mean I know I should, but I'm not going to. But it can also mean... I'm sorry that I am disappointing you. I'm sorry for the emotion that you're feeling, but I actually have the right to my own house. So sorry is a little marker word that you want to like pay attention to. Which way am I using it? Yeah. Uh, I, I think it really is beneficial to a lot of workplaces if you have no boundaries, but it's beneficial to them uh, in the short term. In the long run, uh, you wind up with more burnout. You wind up with more um, absenteeism, uh, you wind up with more turnover, and you wind up with a fair number of employees on um, stress leave. Uh, I, I've noticed, I've done a lot of work for rehab coordinators and so on. And these are professionals that are assigned to people who are uh, on stress leave or uh, leave for mental health issues and so on. And there are some companies that've got like 20% of their staff off on leave. And you think, this is not helpful for that company. I've noticed this myself very early in my career when I would first have an assistant, I would give them a task to do and I would think, okay, well, that seems to be going well. Let's give them another task. Oh, that seems to be going well. Let's give them another task. And I didn't realize, but I had a hidden belief. I'm a cognitive therapist, but I didn't realize it. I was having this hidden belief that I wasn't looking at, which is once they're full, they will tell me. 
And I had somebody working for me who, once they were full, would not tell me because they thought it was the term of the of the the work that their job was to just take whatever was given. Uh, and uh, I, since then, have realized you really need your employees to be able to speak up and say, I'm full now, or which of these is the most important, because I'm not going to get to all of that this week. You know, and I I rely on that because often when I'm giving over a task as a as an employer, I have no clue how long it will take. You know, I might be giving a 40-hour job, I might be giving a three-hour job. I don't know. Uh we'll see. Uh and so I really need, I think it's really important that employees be able to give that feedback to people. In, in Since uh, COVID, people have been talking about this idea. Is it quiet quitting? Is that the term that people are using? Yes, that's right. Quiet quitting. Yeah. And part of it, I mean, some of that is kind of like, oh, I just give up. I'm so burned out. I'm just going to do the bare minimum. Fair enough. But some of it, it's like, no, I'm going to work for the hours that I'm going to, uh, getting paid, and then I'm going to spend time with my family and friends and my other interests in life. That's not quiet quitting. That's having boundaries. <laughs> you know, that's having a life. I agree with you. It's like a sad state of affairs that what is just really setting some work boundaries and deciding I'm not going to let work take up every second of my day is now labeled as quiet quitting when that's actually a very healthy thing to do, isn't it? I think that speaks to what what has sort of become the norm. Randy, I just wanted to move into a final piece here um, that you had in your training and in your book about giving and receiving both positive and negative feedback. And I wanted to just start by saying that All of the above can be difficult, right? Giving and receiving positive and negative feedback. And I thought it was so interesting the way that you talked about that and and write about that. And I just really appreciate the work that you're doing in this area. I think I thought it was really helpful to me. Oh, well, thank you very much. That's uh, that's lovely. Okay, good job. You passed your own test because I just gave you some positive feedback and you accepted it very simply and graciously. And I'm pointing that out because I actually think that's a lot of times people feel uncomfortable when they are given positive feedback and they might, um, you know, they might deny it or reject it or minimize it or something like that. Absolutely. Whereas what's tempting for people, and I suspect even more tempting for Canadians than for Americans, is like, oh, no, it's terrible. It's this silly little book that, you know, know, we want to uh, discard any positive feedback that we get. And it really is the throwing away of a gift. You know, it's an insult to the person who's complimenting you. And try not to insult them. You know, it's a gift. You accept it with graciousness. Yes, That's right. And negative feedback, in my opinion, can be even more tricky and difficult to give and to receive. I think that, you know, getting negative feedback sometimes can really sting and we might want to avoid that at all costs sometimes. And then also giving negative feedback can be really hard. I think that often I will be really reluctant to give somebody critical feedback or negative feedback. And so I was wondering if you could say a little bit about why is negative feedback so difficult to give? And what are some pointers that you have for giving someone negative feedback? 
Well, part of it is that negative feedback tends to be quite potent. You know, when you give it, people are like, oh my gosh, they're, they're, uh, they remember it a lot. Uh, they remember it more than positive feedback often. And so it's helpful to, if you're in a situation where you're going to have to give negative feedback, remember to give a ton of positive feedback when the opportunities arise for that as well. But when you're giving uh, negative feedback, one principle is that private is better than public. Generally, not always, but generally, uh, you know, the idea of praise publicly, uh, criticize privately or correct privately. You want to be clear about what it is that you're talking about and you want to set boundaries around it. You know, inevitably, a person who's hearing, oh, uh, um, if your attendance was a little bit better, that would be helpful. Right. At, at work or school or whatever. Uh, I, they're wondering what else is there in this train? Is this the firing speech? Is this the I hate everything you do speech? Is this the I'm divorcing you speech? And so it's helpful if you uh, preface your negative feedback with some positives. Uh, where you're pointing out, this is really great about your job. I'm really glad about that and this, and the attendance could be better. So what this does is it provides a frame around the situation where it's reasonably clear that you're not rejecting them in toto. You are uh, just pointing out something in particular that could be improved. You also want, when you're giving this feedback, to give the feedback um, with your goal in mind, like what exactly do you want to change? And it's so tempting to give feedback about a person's character. You know, I'd like you to be smarter about this. What, like, what do we really expect them to do? Neurosurgery to like up their IQ by 20 points? That, like they don't have the ability to do that. I'd like you to respect me. They don't have the ability to do that, right? We cannot change how we feel, at least not perfectly or instantly. I would like you to be here by 9 a.m. That they can do. So we focus on behavior, not on character. Not don't be so lazy. Uh, don't be so careless. I would like this to happen. What exactly is it you're looking at? And also it's best to focus on what would be better. What would you like as opposed to what are you hating? <laughs> You know, I would really like it if everybody was here on time because we have the 9 a.m. meeting um, and uh, uh, that's when we set out the work for the day. As opposed I mean, to I would rather there wasn't your empty seat sitting there. I think that's really good general feedback to kind of, you know, end on here, which is that this piece around just being very specific, anchored in a specific behavior instead of just this kind of attack on the person. I mean, I think that goes a long way in marital disputes and all kinds of settings. It's like you want to just say, hey, you know, this thing that you've been doing, you know, could you do this instead or just keep it really, you know, straightforward and kind and respectful. Kind, respectful, straightforward and behavioral. Absolutely. And, and included with the positives. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there is so much more we could talk about today, Randy, and I am going to refer people to your workbook because it is 
full of helpful information to help you work on the skill. And because it's a workbook, I think it's really, you know, practical. There's like good information in there, but there, you know, it's all about practicing this skill and working on it. So I really recommend people check that out. Um, Randy, where can people find out more about what you're up to? Um, can you point people towards your web page and any other resources that they might be interested in? Yeah, my web page is randypatterson.com. And because um, I have the Scottish version of the name, not the English one, it's, there's only one T in Patterson. Um, and I have a YouTube channel called Psychology Salon, all one word. And if you just go to YouTube and type that into the search engine, you'll find it. And something usually goes up there every couple of weeks. Um, I also have an online course page uh, with some courses for the general public and some courses for mental health professionals at psychologysalon.teachable.com. And references to all of those can be found at my website, randypatterson.com. And of course, the books can be found at any online bookseller, in, in, including the one we've all been using through the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> Which shall not be named. Yes, well, and we will also... <laughs> We will also link to all of these resources on our show notes for today's episode. And I highly recommend both the book and then also your trainings because you really are, you know, do some great presentations. And so I wish all of our listeners all the best in practicing their assertiveness skills. And Randy, thank you so much for your time today. Even if you won't be taking over as a guest co-host, I do appreciate your, your expertise. Great. Well, thank you very much. It's been a delight. Thank you. Hey, Psychologist Off the Clock listeners. I'm going to guess that if you are listening to this episode, that you love to geek out about books in psychology. So if you are a fellow book nerd like Yale and I, and all of the people around you are tired of you talking about books, then you can join us once a month to really take a deep dive into the, the books that we're going to be reading together. So if you want to join us, all you have to do is send an email with the subject heading RSVP to offtheclockpsych at gmail.com and we'll send you information for upcoming meetings of the book club. We hope to see you there. Thank you for listening to Psychologists Off the Clock. If you enjoy our podcast, you can help us out by leaving a review or contributing on Patreon. You can get more psychology tips by subscribing to our newsletter, and you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Connect with us on social media by going to our website at offtheclockpsych.com slash merch. We'd like to thank our strategic consultant, Michael Harold, our dissemination coordinator, Katie Rothfelder, and our editorial coordinator, Melissa Miller. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not meant to be a substitute for mental health treatment. If you're having a mental health emergency, dial 911. If you're looking for mental health treatment, please visit the resources page of our website, offtheclockpsych.com.